The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So good evening, everyone. Um, welcome, if you're new, and welcome if you're not. Um, my name is um, Mira Young, and um, Mark is um, away. Can you hear me okay? Or is this? Um, Mark is out of town this evening, so he asked me to um, uh, take the talk this evening. So I'm really um, happy to always support Mark and offer whatever dharma I can in common ground. Um, this evening's talk is um, entitled Equanimity, Love and the Awakening Mind, The Milk of the Dharma, The Milk of the Dharma. I'd like to start with, um, I guess I'll share a little bit about, a little bit more about who I am, and then um, I'd like to jump into our exploration of, of this practice of equanimity. So um, I'm a longtime member of Common Ground, as some of you may know, and of the Twin City Vipassana community, and I've uh, been practicing in the this tradition for about 18 years and prior to that in the yoga tradition for about 13 years. And I also teach mindfulness-based stress reduction at the U of M. And I also teach a course on happiness and emotional healing there. Um, and I teach um, some other classes at the School of Social Work in St. Kate St. Thomas on incorporating mindfulness into psychotherapy. Um, so I'm also a psychotherapist in private practice at Rivers Way Meditation Center. So that's enough about me. So, um, I'd like to dedicate tonight's talk um, to my mother. My mom passed away a week ago this evening. And equanimity has um, been my companion throughout this um, week um, and so I'm really happy to to be able to share more about this wonderful practice the Buddha said that better than a thousand hollow words is one word that brings peace this is a poem um, part of a poem called accepting this um, equanimity is about accepting things as they are. This is a portion from his poem. And Mark Nepo is a wonderful poet, and he himself is a cancer survivor. He says, we cannot eliminate hunger, but we can feed each other. We cannot eliminate loneliness, but we can hold each other. We cannot eliminate pain, but we can live a life of compassion. Ultimately, we are small living things awakened in the stream, not gods who carve out rivers. Like human fish, we are asked to experience meaning in the life that moves through the gills of our heart. We are asked to experience meaning. 
in the light that moves through the gills of our heart. There is nothing to do and nowhere to go. Accepting this, we can do anything. We can do everything and go everywhere. There is nothing to do and nowhere to go. Accepting this, we can do everything and go anywhere. I'm going to share some definitions of equanimity with you that I've um, gathered from some different wonderful sources and teachers. It is the unattached awareness of one's experience as a result of perceiving the impermanence of momentary reality. Equanimity, it is the peace of mind of abiding calmness that cannot be shaken by any grade of either fortune or unfortunate circumstance. It is not a thought nor an emotion. It is rather the steady conscious realization of reality's transience. It is the ground for wisdom and freedom and the protector of compassion and love. While some may think that equanimity is as a dry neutrality or cool, aloofness, kind of an indifference, mature equanimity produces a radiance and warmth of being. The Buddha described a mind filled with equanimity as abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. The Pali word for um, equanimity, as some of you may know, is upeka. I also learned that there's actually two Pali words um, for equanimity. I'd only been familiar with upeka. And upeka is that quality that means that we can look over, we can observe. So we can develop this capacity this power to observe things without reactivity, which is also, equanimity is cultivated by mindfulness. I mean, mindfulness is kind of the the king, and equanimity is the queen. So this first meaning, this first word of upeka is to look over. So we have that power to observe what's going on without being caught in it. And when it's well-developed, it gives a great sense of peace and that we can learn to what's called see with patience. This is that quality upeka, is to see with patience. We might understand this as seeing with understanding. So like when someone might say something that might offend us or hurt us, we might not take it so personally. We're less likely to react to what's said. um, I love this next part. It's, It's said that instead Um, that this form of equanimity to see with patience is like a grandmother, a grandmotherly love. That the form of equanimity is compared to a grandmother's love. A grandmother clearly loves her grandchildren, 
But thanks to her experience with her own children as a mother, she's less likely, perhaps a little less likely, to get caught up in the drama of her grandchildren's life. So it's that maybe grandmotherly or perhaps grandfatherly quality. Now the second word for um, equanimity in Pali, and I don't know if I'm saying this correctly because I just learned it, is uh, Tatra Maja Hata. Tata. Tatra Maja Hatata. And Maja I'm familiar with because it's middle, like the middle way. Now this translation, Tatra, means there and is sometimes referred to as all things. And Maja means, or Maha means middle. And Tata means to stand. So when you put this all together, it means to stand in the middle. And equanimity is about balance. So that capacity to stand in the middle, to find our balance, is what this um, tata, tatra, mata, maha, hatata means. <laughs> so just say, tata. And he will let it go. <laughs> so. Um, this develops a strong presence, an inner calm, confidence, vitality, or integrity that can keep us upright, like a ballast in a ship, up again, upright against the strong winds. And, the, and some of you are familiar with, or perhaps not, the eight worldly winds. So life is filled with these winds, right? You know, praise and blame, success and failure, pain and pleasure, fame and disrepute, these are the classic eight worldly winds that sweep through our lives. You know, one moment, um, I was on a retreat with um, Ninger Rinpoche um, about, uh, for about a month, and every day he'd come in, we'd have a, a, just about every day in the evening, um, he'd check in with us and we'd have like a Dharma teaching, but first thing he'd say in his lovely accent, which I'll try to imitate but do poorly, is, uh, so how was stock market today? You know, and, and, and then he'd listen, he'd say, and he'd ask, and people would say, how good meditation, bad meditation, how was the meditation, how was the stock market? And inevitably, and he'd say, okay, raise hand, how many people, good meditation, you know, a few hands would go up, how many people, bad meditation, more hands would go up, how many people, come see, come sigh, and then the rest would raise their hand. And every day he'd ask us, and again and again throughout, you know, 20-some days of practice, and so that we could see just how things are so changeable, um, up and down. One day my hand was up, one day my hand was down, when it, you know, and then after a while it didn't matter anymore, right? Good, bad, high, low, pain, pleasure, just just, just to observe it, just to find the balance. So actually, um, Gil Franciel describes seven mental qualities of equanimity. So I'll just kind of touch those briefly and don't try to necessarily remember them all, but we can listen with an open heart. The first is virtue or integrity. And why, why would we think that virtue and integrity would be one of the mental qualities for equanimity. You know, and, and I think it doesn't take 
you know, we can reflect on that and that if we're living with integrity, I was talking with one of my clients today about, you know, being committed, living from your own truth, from your values, you know, versus so much externally on, on what you think, you know, someone else needs or wants you to be or how you think you should be in order to be loved or accepted. You know, to live with that integrity, follow virtue, you know, to not harm, to be in alignment with truth. That, and, and that brings a kind of a peace, a peace of mind, a blamelessness. And the second support for equanimity to develop is faith, a kind of faith that can provide a grounded wisdom, a confidence. You know, how many of us, and I won't ask you to raise hand, but um, how many of us don't have much faith in our capacity to practice or to awaken? I know I haven't. You know, I you know, we 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 doubt ourselves and and sometimes we doubt the Dharma and and we don't think, well, it can work for everyone else, but not for me. But this cultivation when a faith begins to develop in us, and there's different types of faith in, in that development process, we can begin to feel a confidence. Like, I'm, I'm really grateful that at this point in my practice, I have no doubt. I really trust the Dharma. I have no doubt about the Dharma. I may still have doubts about my own capacity, but I really, you know, have that faith that these are practices that can support life and bring freedom. And then the third support for equanimity is a well-developed mind. And these are also go along with some of the seven factors of awakening, which are mindfulness, development of mindfulness, and concentration, and calm, or tranquility. That we can develop these qualities of the mind. You know, how many of us often dwell in a lot of negativity? And we're caught up. You know, we, we lose that sense of balance. And we go off the cliff into the trough of self-hatred and 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 despair and self-judgment and um, poor me and um, and that we can actually develop and Mark told me that he's been teaching on the paramis these wholesome qualities of mind and, and equanimity is one of these paramis and calm mindfulness concentration really developing this in the mind just like we might go to the gym and develop a muscle and a capacity to Run. One of my some of my clients are running triathlons, and another member here is running one for um, raising some money for cancer research. And more power to them, you know. But you know, one of them I know said, you know, she didn't even have a bicycle, you know. So you know, you begin to cultivate those those muscles and that capacity to do a triathlon. You can also cultivate the capacity to develop concentration and mindfulness and calm. So the fourth support for equanimity is well-being. Um, we don't have to leave well-being to chance. In Buddhism, it's considered appropriate to cultivate enhance, and enhance our well-being. It's not selfish to feel well. You know, a lot of us struggle, well, if I put my well-being, that means that I'm better than others or that I I'm not serving, but actually cultivating that well-being is, is something that um, we can do that brings joy to the mind. 
take time to enjoy a cup of tea or the sunset. This um, this afternoon, I um, I was um, looking out the window while I was um, preparing the talk, and um, I noticed that in between the rain, that that suddenly there was steam. I thought I was seeing things. There was steam rising from the roof from the hot day of the garage next door. And then the sparkle of the drops of rain on the green leaves. And there was just that moment of, of well-being and a kind of quiet joy, just watching that steam rise. You know? so, so that uh, supports equanimity. We can um, learn to develop a fifth support is wisdom. So we can start to separate other people's actions from who they are. So we become less judgmental. We become more accepting of ourselves and others. Wisdom supports equanimity and understanding that people are responsible for their own decisions which helps us find equanimity in the face of other people's suffering. We can wish the best for them, but we can avoid by being buffeted by a sense, a false sense of responsibility for their well-being. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but you know I'm a professional caretaker, and, and uh, I came by it well as a young child, and years of this sort of caretaking stuff and finding the difference between true caring and being able to hold the space for people to have their process and their struggle without getting in there and trying to fix it or think that I have any answers, you know? And, and also, um, not take it on. Well, I'm a bad therapist because I, I can't help, I can't make it for them, or I'm a bad mom, or, or it's my responsibility taking it on. And um, all that does is create a burden in your own heart. But it doesn't mean that we don't care and we don't do our best and we don't offer support. So wisdom. And the sixth support is insight. That's deep seeing into the nature of things. And one of that primary insight, like I read in the first definition about equanimity, is impermanence that everything arises and passes away. You know, seeing um, how, how quickly my, my mother lived to be, um, have a full life, and she had many illnesses and suffering. But, it, but the last year of her life, while she was declining, was relatively um, free of hospitalizations um, for almost a year. and. Um, you know, she, she was very happy and joyful, and um, before she started to, her body started to um, fail, that same evening, um, she was looking at pictures of her new great-grandchild. She was, she was, you know, feeling happy and well and expecting to be discharged to home in a couple of days. In fact, that's what the what I heard, oh, she's, she's there, and she, we expect her to be home in a couple days in the hospital. And then things changed. And, you know, she was gone within less than 24 hours. You know, so, so we don't know, you know. So the, the real 
um, teaching of impermanence. And force, hopefully we don't have to wait till we're on our deathbed or watch someone we love to recognize that. We can recognize how everything is so fleeting and changing. And that deep insight helps us, the mind, to let go of clinging. We might cling less. In fact, um, my car of um, the last decade or so uh, decided to quit, like just break down, like stop running. And, uh, and the repairs um, are more than the worth of the car. And I realized that today, um, as I, I was noticing cars of that particular type, and I was starting to feel this, oh, oh, you know, like, that was my car, and that was my Dharma mobile, and I drove to this retreat in that car, and, and, and that brand of car, you know, and, and then I, I saw that, and I started to laugh at myself, and I thought, you know, it's not bad or good. I mean, it's like, it's okay, you know, I'm going to miss my, my car, but because um, it suddenly quit running, and it needed all this repair work, but you know, it's so easy to see how attached we get and how quickly things can change. And then the final support for equanimity is freedom. And that, that comes when we let go of our reactive tendencies. And we get a taste of this um, when we, when we rec- once we're, we're reactive, but we aren't any longer. And actually, what do you think is one of the best ways to develop equanimity? is when you are reactive. You see where your reactivity is, and that actually strengthens the power of equanimity. Because you see the places where you get caught. You get reactive. So rather than feel bad about it and beat yourself up, you can be thrilled even, like grateful, like, wow, okay, here's an area that I can work with. And we can also see that that perhaps there's some issues that used to upset us, like when we were teenagers or younger, that no longer bother us anymore or have a meaning. Like, I mean, you know, maybe if it was my first car and I was 16 years, 18 years old or something, and and I might be a lot more upset about it. But now, different cars and repairs later, it's like, Oh well, it's just a car, you know. Oh well, so we're car sharing. So, okay. So these two forms of equanimity that come from the power of observation and the one from inner balance come together in mindfulness practice. And as mindfulness becomes stronger, so does our equanimity. We see with greater independence and freedom. And at the same time, equanimity becomes an inner strength that keeps us balanced in the middle of all that is. Okay. Actually, in talking about strengthening equanimity, um, I have a difficult family member I've often mentioned in here. And um, some of you may have probably don't have any difficult people, family members. I'm probably the only one. But um, this difficult family member um, was kind of, um, I was getting, I was noticing while I was 
um, this past weekend around them that um, I was pretty equanimous. Equanimity was really pretty strong. But then at one point, um, I, I, I felt like, ooh, like they, they said something and they basically told me in not in not these words to basically shut up and don't say anything. <laughs> so so I didn't I didn't like that. And um, and uh, so so um, I came back to where I was after this interaction and I just acknowledged it that I was I, that there was this anger that, that I felt this anger when this person made a comment to to silence me or to tell me basically not to say anything in this situation this past weekend. And um, and I saw the anger come up, and I had um, a couple people I could trust. And for a few moments, I said, I'm not going to do anything about this, but I just need to acknowledge that I'm really pissed off. <laughs> I'm real, this anger has arisen, and I made some comment. And then the person that I was angry with came out to the deck we were sitting on, and I took a breath and I turned to them and I thanked them for whatever something else that they did that was really, that went really well in the next moment. And I thought to myself, wow, this equanimity practice is really working. <laughs> you know, I literally was like, ah. And, and there wasn't any like, it wasn't fake. I mean, in the next moment, it was like, you know, you really handled that well. Thank you. And then actually later the person apologized to me. said, well, you know, I didn't mean whatever, but blah, blah, blah. Um, which was rare. <laughs> you can see I, I, I have more work to do. <laughs> so, Ajahn Chah was a wonderful forest master. He talks about um, that unwholesome states of mind are like a cobra. Okay. So, and I, I'm going to ask, I actually, am, I found some really rich stuff I want to share, but I, I want also to give you a chance to reflect. And I have some um, inquiry for you about these areas, like where you want to bring more equanimity to and where it's difficult and where you know, it's easier and just what about that for yourself tonight. But I do want to share a little more and a couple of really wonderful poems. But he talks about living with the cobra and that, um, that it's necessary to really cultivate and maintain our mindfulness. And let's see, how does he say it here? Um, we say that mental activity is like a deadly poisonous cobra. If we don't interfere with the cobra, it simply goes on its way. You can raise hands. Has anyone had encounter with cobra? Oh, okay. So you don't want to interfere with it, right? I, I recently um, read a story where somebody actually, um, fortunately the cobra had another animal in its mouth because the guy didn't see it and leaned on it. But, um, so. Take no problem. But um, you don't want to mess with the cobra. But we'll get completely messed up into our own 
machinations, our own mind, our mental activity, particularly the negative stuff. So that even though it's extremely poisonous, we're not affected by it. We don't go near it. We don't take a hold of it. It doesn't bite us. The cobra does what is natural for a cobra to do. That's the way it is, Achan Chah says. If you are clever, you'll leave it alone. And so you let that and so you let be that which is good. You also let be that which is not good. Let it be according to its own nature. Let it be like let it be your liking and your disliking, the same way you don't interfere with the cobra. So this possibility of not this non-clinging, this not getting caught up in that liking or disliking. Because we we always want the things we like, and that causes us as much suffering and imbalance than when we're with the disliking. So that non-reactivity, that letting go, brings that equanimity, and we don't get bit. You know, it doesn't mean that you don't enjoy a good ice cream cone on a hot day. It's just you let go of that attachment around it. You let go of that. That, that suffering when you don't get it. At this retreat that I was at with Mingyur Rinpoche, it was on a college campus, and we had dorm food, you know? And fortunately, um, dorm food has become somewhat more enlightened, although I talked with a friend uh, of mine today who took her son to uh, his college for orientation this last week in another part of the country, and she said, that in, by the guy's dorm, all they had was foot-long, fried, whatever, and the, the way in the back was a tiny salad bar. But, but where I was, we had a huge salad bar and all. But after a few weeks of dorm food, um, you know, but it was like it was just for a few weeks, and that's the equanimity. Okay, so what? You know, so I live on salad for a few days and ice cream. It's okay. <laughs> we had a lot. They had soft served ice cream anytime you wanted. So, which we don't usually have on retreats, so the yogis went a little nuts. <laughs> you should have seen what we would make ourselves. One, one, one uh, teacher made root beer floats. So. Okay. So um, this is. Um, a little wisdom from Ken McLeod on equanimity. He says, pay attention to the experience of equanimity. What is it? Where is it? Where does it come from? Don't try to analyze it. Just rest looking at the experience of equanimity. Maybe you felt that during the guided meditation. You know, where, where is it? What is it? How do I experience that? At every stage of practice, the price has to be paid for clarity. The price is the loss of an illusion. In equanimity, you lose the illusion that your preferences and prejudices accurately reflect what is real. Huh? I read that one again. In equanimity, you lose the illusion that your preferences and prejudices accurately reflect what is real. Equanimity practice is tough. It at first exposes prejudices and then works to pry you loose from them. Not everyone lets go easily. 
So it's tough, you know. And 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 you cannot practice equanimity or any of the four measurables with the intellect, like loving kindness, compassion, and joy. More often than not, the intellect's in service of habituated patterns. And even when it isn't, we don't have enough energy to penetrate the reactive emotions, let alone dismantle them. You can't necessarily think your way through these practices. But you, you, if you do, you'll only develop a veneer of equanimity or one of the other immeasurables, a veneer that will shatter as soon as you encounter a real difficult situation. As the Dalai Lama once said, patience with friends is easy. Patience with those you dislike is what counts. So this is how we, we learn to develop ourselves in these ways with equanimity. Really, it's really tempting because um, just a couple more things about equanimity. Um, so, noticing, how many of you ever notice when you might drop spontaneously into times of equanimity, times of peace, times of balance? I mean, all of us, no matter how much we struggle or suffer, probably have moments, maybe we haven't even noticed them yet, where we feel some balance or some ease that's not so dependent on external conditions. You know, it might be that moment of just listening to the rain. It can be very simple. In fact, with Mingya Rinpoche, the less special your meditation was, the more you were really actually meditating. Um, one man who had practiced with him for Buddhist nun for some years, you know, shared that, um, you know, he asked her, how's your meditation? She said, nothing special. He said, great, you know, good meditation. You know, because we're looking for some extraordinary experience. But equanimity may have a more subtle flavor. You know, it's not like fire engine red. You know, it's not bright electric green like a friend of mine wore his bike shirt today to Qigong. It was like electric green. Somebody said, well, they won't hit you, but they might because of the shirt. <laughs> it's really green. You know, but, but equanimity is more soft, you know, mossy and... Sometimes it's so subtle we don't even see it, but we can feel it, we can sense it. Um, equanimity um, is actually a practice where you can have your cake and eat it too, which I love hearing, because uh, I like sweets. And when you apply equanimity to unpleasant sensations, they flow more readily, and as a result, cause less suffering. And when you apply equanimity to pleasant <coughs> sensations, they also flow more readily and give you a deeper fulfillment. So, so equanimity is not, again, this cold, detached, indifferent quality. It's actually a warmth. And I, I want to share that actually another synonym for equanimity is love. Equanimity is love. <coughs> And I'd like to share some poems that, um, and, a re and something from Shanti Deva about how equanimity is love. This is by Mark Nepple, utterance that rises briefly from the source. 
So equanimity is also known as unshakable peace. Peace. Peace is an odd word for the bubble of all there is, breaking repeatedly on the surface of the heart. But I know of no other. The Native Americans come closest, nothing between inner events and what to call them. I see you and you always glow. Why not call you one who shines like a sun upon first meeting? Why not call the moment of fear and doubt, and doubt dark pointing spinning loose that presses on the throat? Why not call the moment of certainty the fleeting moment when everything that ever lived is right behind my pounding heart? Why not call why not call that moment beat beat of the thousand wings of God inside my chest? When I feel love so deeply that I can't bear it, when I feel it so much that it cannot be contained or directed at any one thing or person, why not call it the stone at the bottom of the river that sings? Why not call it the stone at the bottom of the river that sings? Why not call you the hand that plucks me from the bottom of the river? Why not call this miracle of life the sound that never stops stirring, the lost within the sound that never stops soothing, the living within the sound that never stops sounding in the eyes of the dead, things coming alive again and again. Shantideva says in his guide of the Bodhisattva's way of life, like a blind man discovering a jewel in a heap of rubbish, likewise, by some coincidence, an awakening mind has been born in me. And equanimity is that unshakable peace of an awakened mind. It is the supreme medicine that quells the world's disease. It is the tree that shelters all beings, wandering and tired on the path of conditioned existence. It is the universal bride that leads to freedom from unhappy states of birth. It is the dawning moon of the mind that dispels the torment of disturbing conceptions. It is the great sun that finally removes the misty ignorance of the world. It is the quintessential butter from churning the milk of the Dharma. It is the quintessential butter from churning the milk of the Dharma for all those guests traveling on the path of conditioned existence who experience the, bound, the boundaries of happiness. They will satisfy them with joy and actually place them in supreme bliss. The quintessential butter from the churning of dharma into milk, equanimity. So let's just sit for a few moments. And I'd like to guide you a little further in that reflection for our discussion.
take a moment and be open to whatever arises without judgment. Invite memory, invite whatever wants to come up of times of peace, equanimity, moments where you have experienced or tasted peace, equanimity, balance, ease. and feel how that feels in your body-mind, the flavor of equanimity, the felt sense and the sensations of it. When, when have I felt balanced and equanimous? What brings equanimity into my heart, into my life? Where and with whom and what situations, issues, emotions, areas of my life are asking for more equanimity? Where is it challenging? That's where the muscle grows. That's the sand in the oyster. And where are those places where there's some access or ease, where, where I find balance? It may be a simple walking the dog in the dog park or a cup of coffee with awareness. So take a few more moments to reflect, and then we can drop into stillness. And then when you hear the bell next, we'll open up for some sharing or discussion. are. They help us remember. They're like tying the string around the finger. Because when we're caught and we're in it, that's often what we need to do is we help exactly what you're doing. So the, number one is what you just did. Help. I'm caught. Remind me. Okay. And 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 that that means one is there's already awareness that you're caught. And then there's the activity of reaching out for support.
from other um, Dharma support, supporters. So that's wonderful. So already that's starting to bring the possibility of the letting go or, or you know, some, some hopefully connection, you know. And um, there's many, many skillful ways. But one is to remember you can use equanimity practice. And actually, there was a time in my practice where it was a really rough time of transition some years ago. And my primary teacher suggested that I do equanimity practice because there was so much imbalance and so much intense emotions and things and changes going on that were very difficult. So all conditioned things arise and pass away. You know, this too shall pass. You know, these emotions, like even the ones, it, it's a coaster, right? And it's up and it's down and it's all around. And when we think we need to stop a roller coaster, what will happen? I mean, what would happen if we threw ourselves in front of a, a roller coaster? But what if we just said, okay, we observed the equanimity, we watch it. We feel, we see the sensations. We, we note it to our capacity. We get support. You know, we begin to cultivate, you know, that what, what's going to bring balance in my heart and mind given that there's so much intensity right now. I actually sat down with a client today and together we crafted a list of about half a dozen possibilities. You know, things, everything from how to, what to do with your mind when it's, you know, the vulture is attacking you and what to do, you know, is an act activities, including everything from calling people to uh, making lists to, you know, doing something really mundane. So I think it's a lot of compassion. And if other people want to share what helps them, I don't want to dominate the conversation. But I trust that this too shall pass. And whatever works to support you, to be able to be less identified with the emotion, but to, to let it move through you, feeling it. The equanimity actually helps us feel it. When we get overwhelmed with emotion and lost in it, it's helpful to sometimes find some skillful means that help us find a little more balance because it's harder to ride the coaster without equanimity, without that capacity or mindfulness to be present with it. We get overwhelmed. So I mean, we could have a whole conversation. But how about other people? Um, do you want to? Um, share um, what what's helpful to you, not not to you know try to fix it, but just what what your experience is from your own. Yes, please. Uh, my name is Casey. Casey. What I've noticed in my life, uh, and obviously you're dealing with a lot of strong emotion at that time. You're dealing with a lot of strong emotions when you're when you're stuck, and it is easy you know proliferation. Like that. Uh, mm-hmm. You bet. But. Um, Allowing yourself to feel it. You said that a moment ago, but allowing yourself to feel it mm-hmm. is uh, pretty critical, I think, to get through it. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it can't be impartiality. It, it has, it, for me, anyway, it has mm-hmm. to be, you know, crying, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever, but uh, not necessarily getting caught up with all the revenge tendencies or any of that stuff, but I mean, just, just uh, 
Let, kind of letting it wash through you. Thank you. Yes? Um, finding a way to relax the mind. I find the legs mm-hmm. take like 10 minutes to just concentrate on the breath. Mm-hmm. Then the emotions aren't quite as overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And the feelings aren't quite as overwhelming. You have a little more space. Mm-hmm. You're still there, but there's a little more space. Mm-hmm. A little more peace. Yeah, absolutely. Going to something more neutral. Because, you know, often where it's painful, the emotions, we like put our full concentration and we, we, sometimes we need to either kind of make a bigger space for it or, you know, um, what you're saying is exactly, you know, going to something more neutral like a breath or sometimes we need to go outside and look at the sky kind of give it more room, you know, kind of holding it in that. Or we might shift to loving kindness practice. You know, compassion for ourselves, for the suffering. You know, so it t- it takes. You know, and, and we might only be able to touch in and be with that felt sense for short periods. You know, to ride it out. So you 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 find each each heart and mind is different. But these are wonderful suggestions. Yeah, one more. Yeah. Um, also, what I try to do is I sit with that setting thoughts, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what I found I sit with it. Having the thought, he did this to me. Having the feeling of anger in my body that I you know. But what I find is that all of a sudden I get this nothing happened for a second or two. And I go, oh my God, is that all about this upset? There's nothing here to me. And that kind of breaks the spell somewhat. Totally. Actually, there's this great little quote I didn't read about the Buddha said, if if you could know kind of how perfect or just how things really are, you just throw back your head and start laughing, you know, at, you know, at the sky. I mean, we get so consumed, and yet, 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 at the same time, we can't. We live in a relative reality, and there are things that are very painful, and it's part of a process of awakening. We can't just spiritually bypass it. But what you're saying is, you know, very helpful, very, very skillful means. Yes? I was in the ocean Kelly who said this, mm-hmm. uh, that sometimes when we're caught, having this, this space to be aware that we're caught is just seems inaccessible. Mm-hmm. But just being aware, this is suffering. Mm-hmm. Right this, right now, this is suffering. Um, I think sometimes even even compassion practice can be hard, but acknowledging this is suffering, a little is like you know a splinter. <laughs> you know, it's basic. Oh, that's what's happening. This is suffering. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, being able to remove sometimes doesn't it, you know if you're completely caught, but acknowledging uh, oh right right here right now this is this is suffering. You, you're, so that, that, that awareness of the dukkha, of the suffering, in and of itself, and, and often we think we need to do something to get rid of it, but sometimes it's just that little wedge of a moment of awareness, like acknowledging, okay, this is painful, this is dukkha, this is, this is a hell realm. Yeah. And, and, it, and what to do, because inherently it will eventually 
change. That's that, that faith and impermanence, that trust and that insight, that wisdom. You know, even if we're in the midst of it, and there are very difficult, painful things. We don't want to discount that, and that's where the human heart can, we can, you know, um, respond. But absolutely, sometimes there's nothing, nothing that can we can do, but we can just be. Yes, we might have time for one or two more comments before closing loving kindness tonight. Anyone else have some? Yes, please. Hi. Yeah. Um, just as a, <clears throat> I had this moment lately with um, my husband where I had like this prime opportunity to throw a big, I told you so. <laughs> you know, it was so right. <laughs> but to not do it, you know, and, it, and I could have like really got into it also. Why, you know, you did, I told you, you know. Um, and, you know, to feel that urge come up so strong and then like, to not do it, to not act on it then. It, you know, I think like that question, like what happens when this comes up is, because if we don't get into it, you know, the alternative is peace. And it's like, it almost seems boring. Or, you know, and yet that peace was such a, like that wise choice, I could also feel just, I mean, it's so hard to describe, but the, the peacefulness, um, you know, how to say, like, there was this huge step forward for me. Yeah. And so that letting go of it, you know. I, I want you to have some high fives here. <laughs> and how wonderful then you notice the peace, you know, from, you know, that was the pattern. And then the wisdom, the mindfulness came in of your practice. You know, those are those times of, wow, the practice is working. You know, it's doing me. They were waking up in the middle of the about to moment. And how beautiful, and what a beautiful description of that peace. And you're right. You know, we start to lose that taste for that flaming hot drama, you know, that, you know, it's like, it's like you're eating everything filled with sugar and, and over-salted, and then you start tasting more the subtle flavor, you know. We're, 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 you know so even to wreck, there's a lot of wisdom and insight in that. You know, because people think, oh, you know, I'll become a meditator and I'll become kind of this zombie, you know. <laughs> but actually, you know, the taste of freedom, the taste of peace is so delicious and gorgeous. And then how you experience that, I mean, you know, it, it beats any of those other delights. I mean, you know, so um, it's an acquired taste. What would you what would you say, Nancy? Would you recommend it? That flavor? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it kind of goes, you know, to show just how we can also like be fooled into thinking like sweets are just the ultimate, you know. And then just reflecting on like that impermanence of it and what what is real sweetness? Yes. Yes. 
Well, we, we need to finish up. I feel like we could just, um, but it feels like, wow, I wish I'd want to hear more from you guys. So I'm sorry I talked to you. Uh, but I hope you'll, you'll take this time to reflect and maybe um, share with each other or, or um, just think about more that in, you know, what brings equanimity and what are those areas you want to develop more in yourself. Um, and equanimity practice, you can take it on. So let's close with a, a blend of loving kindness and equanimity and send it out into the world. So we'll finish with that, and then there's a couple announcements here. Okay? So um, let's settle ourselves down. can offer and share the merit of our practice this evening for the awakening and development of equanimity in our own hearts and minds and out to one another just as I wish for myself to be well and at peace equanimous and balanced with a heart filled with loving kindness and compassion. I wish this for everyone here, peace and happiness and freedom. And then letting it flow out to those near and far, those dear to us that are known to us that we share our lives with, and those unknown to us that support our life in this country and all the countries in the world and all the sentient beings you know, from the the, uh, the gulls and the birds and the people at the Gulf with the oil to Afghanistan and to the Middle East, Darfur, and all over this world, peace, equanimity, freedom, and all sentient beings everywhere in all directions May we all know true peace, happiness, and freedom, unshakable peace. And we can radiate that out, abundant and exalted in all directions, love, unconditional love. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.